Greetings, passengers of the Brace and Place podcast. As always, this is your conductor slash host, Hillary. Be advised that this podcast does contain spoilers, so be advised to that and use caution as needed. Today's episode, we will review Season 2, Episode 1, titled The Time of Two Engines. We will discuss our initial burning questions and continue to explore different ships' relationships, as usual. We will also end with the random, burning, unimportant question that Hillary has asked about the train this week. But first, brace in place for our official entry into this episode, which begins with our recap. All right, hello everybody. We are going to discuss episode one of season two right now. Um, I loved this episode. I thought it was super, uh, super intense and super fun from the get-go. Not really fun. I shouldn't use that word, but um, it was something. Let me tell you, it was something. So let's just get right into it. This episode started with uh, a scene from the graphic novel, kind of an animated, long, longer drawn-out scene um, to begin the episode of uh, Snowpiercer going through the snow outside, and I, I love it when it does that. Um, I love these little uh, animated scenes that they do. Um, such a tribute to the graphic novel, which um, I just finished and really uh, enjoyed for the most part, I would say. Um, during this part, we learned that Big Alice is only uh, 40 cars long, and Snowpiercer is 994 cars long. So we initially know that Big Alice just does not have um, nearly the length that Snowpiercer does. We don't really know much about um, Big Alice. We don't really know much about the cars, how many people are in there, um, how many, uh, you know, what types of cars are residential, and if they've got uh, farm animals on there like uh, Snowpiercer does. We just don't really know hardly anything. Um, we learn a little bit as this episode goes on, but really not much. Um, really not much. There's still a lot of questions. Lots and lots of questions, which we will get to. So this episode starts right where it leaves off. Um, we are right back into the tale where Andre Layton is standing there with um, Alexandra, uh, who is alive, we find out in the season uh, finale from last time. Alexandra, Melanie Cavill's daughter, is alive, and she's standing right there, and she has a list of demands. She has a list of things that she is telling Andre Layton, you better bring this to me. Um, you better bring me this list of items. Otherwise, we're going to stay stuck. Uh, this train ain't moving, and so uh, you're going you're gonna to all freeze. So from the beginning of this episode, it was intense. Um, from the very beginning, I mean, a couple minutes into this episode, my heart was pounding. I don't know if um, anybody else experienced that, but from the get-go, I was on the edge of my seat wondering, what's, what's going to happen? Um, and feeling uh, very confused as to how, how, uh, how Leighton is going to handle this. Um, because, of course, we don't want to completely negate any of the progress that was made through all of the season one uh, tragedies, all of the killings, all of the fighting, the war basically, um, for democracy, is that all going to go to waste now that we have the, the Mr. Wilford showing up, um, who we feared last season, but now he's actually there and he's threatening to do the same things that we did, uh, that we worried about in the last season of 
income inequality, basically, and, and this class divide. So Alexandra has her list of demands, and she says, we want beer, we want uh, a book, there's a random book, uh, cucumbers, a dinner set, um, there's also a request for Mr. Wilford's favorite, um, uh, favorite type of scotch, I believe it was, and our girl Audrey from the night car, she provides, she gets that, uh, she gets that taken care of. Um, so you already kind of uh, learn a little bit about Audrey and Mr. Wilford maybe having uh, some kind of previous relationship and uh, the preview for next uh, episode or just for the season, I think it was, um, alluded to some possible future encounters between, uh, between Audrey and Mr. Wilford. So I look forward to that. Um, what I thought was interesting was at one point Alexandra went back to um, talk to Mr. Wilford and she told him um, there, there was no jackboots back there. Um, she, so she knew what that was. So that tells me that uh, there's some of these terminologies and some of this, um, the systems, the way that things were set up um, that Mr. Wilford had a hand in. Um, a, a little bit later in the episode, he finds out who actually was in charge of Snowpiercer and that it's not Melanie. And he finds out about the tailies, and he didn't know who the tailies were. So some of this, I just think that's kind of an interesting point, that some of these terms and some of the way that this system came up um, ha had to come up as Snowpiercer kind of went around revolution after revolution and had to develop on its own. But some of this was set in place beforehand. So then we go to, uh, so then you see everybody running all over the train. Um, everybody's running. Everybody's trying to run to get the beer, to get the this, to get the that. And um, then you cut to Melanie outside. And she is trying to uh, do something um, outside of the train to, to help, uh, you know, to help with the situation. Um, she's basically taking a bomb um, to put it underneath um, where Snowpiercer and Big Alice are attached. Um, and we'll get to that later, but she's, she's just doing her Melanie engineer thing out there, um, in the cold. She's in some weird spacesuit thing, um, that, uh, my husband and I were a little interested by this. We said, you know, how long could you stay outside in a, in a suit like that? Um, she does eventually become hypothermic and needs to go inside. Um, I think she had a tear in her suit and, uh, and ended up getting some frostbite on one of her shoulders. And so these suits are not, um, it's not the kind of thing where you could just put it on and go outside for extended periods of time. Um, she could only be out there for so long before she started to freeze, even with that suit on. She uh, also ends up taking a snow sample, which is interesting. She is laying on the ground at one point and sees a snowflake just very beautifully fall right on her face mask um, of her spacesuit looking thing. And uh, snow is not supposed to grow uh, during a time of snow piercer. It's supposed to be too cold. Um, if it gets too cold, evidently it stops snowing. This is something I did not know before snow piercer. Um, but it makes sense just the way all of the systems of our world um, kind of work together. So she sees a little snowflake come and that kind of piques her interest because it's not supposed to be snowing yet. Um, so this leads to a bunch of questions about the world. Um, is the world opening up, um, excuse me, warming up um, 
at a faster rate than they think and will they be able to get off that damn train uh, sooner rather than later it's still a question to be answered so Melanie takes a sample of snow uh, puts it in a little vial and puts that in her little spacesuit um, and then she decides I'm gonna brace the train um, but you know what I'm going to uh, I'm gonna brace Big Alice I'm just going for it so you see her hop on into Big Alice and she um, has to go into some kind of decontamination uh, place where she gets um, she gets hosed down and has to put on a new outfit and whatnot um, Cut to uh, her meeting a hospitality fellow um, named Kevin. And it's clear that Melanie and Kevin know each other. Um, he was one of the people that, in his mind, Melanie left for dead. So Kevin is wearing a hospitality uniform, kind of similar to what Melanie used to wear and to what Ruth still wears. Um, and so he's looking like he's a hospitality guy, too. And he's got a cattle prod, and he just zaps her. He just zaps her and says, thanks, you know, that's for leaving me dead. So there's definitely a backstory to how Kevin was involved with all of that, too, um, that I hope at some point we learn more about all of that. Um, there is an intense conversation that happened after this that I thought was very, very well done this intense conversation between Melanie and Mr. Wilford. She goes in to see Mr. Wilford and they have a talk about how basically Mr. Wilford wants to control both Snowpiercer and Big Alice and Melanie's saying, um, well, it's, it's nice that you're asking me to give over control of this, but I am no longer the one that can give you that control. The train is no longer mine to give. Um, and this is when they have the conversation about the Tailies and he finds out about Andre Layton and it was it was a very uh just you know they didn't move around a lot they they were only in one car um it was a pretty simple conversation um but it was just again intense is the word that i keep going back to for this episode um it was just a very intense conversation between the two of them and you can see mr wilford uh really thought that things would be a certain way when he captured uh snowpiercer and now his brain is just a spinning who are these tailies? Who is Andre Layton? Uh, what happened? Um, and this is just all coming to a head right, uh, right together at the same time as his um, overtaking. We find out a few minutes later that uh, Ruth finds out about Zara and Andre Layton's baby. And she is kind of interestingly super excited about this. Um, poor Ruth. You know, Ruth is, I, I love Ruth. I talked about Ruth last episode. Um, she, I, I love hearing her say brace in place. It's just that I, I knew as soon as she said it, that, uh, that if I ever did a podcast, I would name it after, uh, something having to do with Ruth, um, because I just love her character and she, she is starting to, um, show definitely some different sides of her. Um, she takes Zara basically under her wing and says, I'm going to, I'm going to set you up in first class. Um, I, you should not be living in second, third, um, or the tail, uh, second class or third class or the tail. If you are pregnant, um, you need to be taken care of. So here's a luxury first class car from these two first class passengers who killed themselves because they were so miserable, basically, um, when uh, insurrection happened. So here you go. I, I find this situation very interesting and I'm I'm very excited to see how they play this out because you can see Andre Layton is kind of thinking I 
this might not be a super good look for me. Um, at one point, uh, Andre Layton, as kind of the voice for the new democracy, declares martial law. And so all things related to creating the council that he talked about and having elected representatives from each class and no borders and all of this stuff, um, all of that is kind of on hold because of uh, Mr. Wilford showing back up. So how is that going to look when the guy that just came over the intercom and said our new government is on hold is now shacking up in first class, uh, kind of acting like the king of everything? Um, I can tell that Andre is not that kind of character and that that's not what he wants, but he uh, also has a new baby to be thinking about and, of course, uh, would probably want the, the baby and Zara to be well taken care of and safe. Uh, up in first class, or maybe he would rather them be back in the tail. I don't know. I don't, I really don't know how that's going to go. Um, it also makes you wonder because Ruth is so, um, excited about getting Zara and Leighton up into first class. Uh, you kind of wonder where Ruth's journey is with fully embracing democracy. She showed some glimmers of hope, uh, in the beginning of this episode, uh, where maybe she was kind of starting to realize that, uh, the, the train is kind of screwed unless everybody can come together. And unless everybody, uh, sees Mr. Wilford for the enemy that he is, um, everybody's kind of screwed. And so when you see her jump back into that classist, uh, division where she takes Zara and Layton and puts them up in first class, you kind of wonder, um, has she made any progress? Is she understanding things really? Um, you just kind of wonder about that. You also see at some point around this, LJ bouncing around. She is so excited because Mr. Layton's coming. So you kind of wonder how she's going to play into that as well. I My favorite part, I think, throughout this whole thing was good old Pike. Uh, you see Pike wearing a fabulous suit. I think he was wearing his fabulous suit during this part. And he was, uh, he, he kind of is the master of opportunity. He gets right up there in between Snowpiercer and Big Alice, and he uh, starts trading drugs and fruit, basically. He's got some fruit to give, and the other side has some drugs to give. And so he, um, I might be really quiet, so I'm going to move this thing so I can get a little closer. Hopefully that sounds better. Eh, I don't know. Okay, we'll try that. Um... So, okay, back to Pike and his fabulous suit and his drugs. Uh, he uh, decides to start doing this kind of trade, and, oh, Pike, gosh, love him. He just gets super stoned um, and gets discovered by Roche and Layton. They find him, and they say, uh, what's going on? They can smell the weed. They, they know what's going on. But it kind of gives them an, an idea that maybe Snowpiercer... Uh, can use this as an opportunity to, to offer some more items to trade to get that door open and then storm in there um, and do something to try to get Melanie back. So they do this. They use a mango. Um, Pike goes up there with a mango and says, I'll trade you this mango for something. I can't remember exactly how he did it. But that got them to open the door, a mango. And I've, I've never really cared much for too many different kinds of fruit. Uh, I, I've got some weird stomach issues, and it's, a lot of fruit just gives me gives me a tummy a tummy ache. So I, I think I would have to be pretty desperate to risk uh, an army of people coming in to attack me. 
uh, I'd have to be pretty desperate to do that for a mango. I'm not saying I, I wouldn't do it, but there's a lot of other foods that would be higher up on the list, but I don't know how hungry I'd be after seven years. Maybe I'd do that for, a, you know, a piece of, I don't know, a piece of spam or something gross that I don't like. Um, who knows? Who knows? So they take Pike's idea to use drugs and fruit trade to open up the door, and it works. They say, yeah, come on in. So then Snowpiercer decides, let's storm Big Alice and get on in there, and they kidnap Kevin. And they grab Kevin. I don't know if they tied a rope around him. I think they tied a rope around his legs. And they just start grabbing Kevin and pulling him through, uh, pulling him through back onto the other side. This was a scene where I kind of spit out my drink because this boy looked so pathetic just being pulled and dragged through the train uh, completely against his will. He was just crying and, and yelling. And um, I, I don't know why, but it just kind of made me giggle. Um, he, he, so, so Kevin's gone. Kevin's kidnapped and, and brought over to the other side. Now we find out that Big Alice has kind of a superhero weapon in a weird way. Um, somebody called, quote, Ice Bob. And Ice Bob, uh, we don't really find out at first who exactly Ice Bob is, but then you see this giant superhero Hulk looking guy come in. And I believe that is Ice Bob. Ice Bob comes in, and not only is he huge and obviously super strong, he uh, sees all of these people from Snowpiercer, and he just wants this whole thing to be done with. He's just done. So he turns on the little air release system that they have to let in uh, cold air. And this sends all of the fighters from Snowpiercer back over to their other side because they know that they've only got you know, a, a handful of seconds before they will freeze to death um, when this cold air comes into the train. However, Ice Bob stands there seemingly unaffected by this, uh, by this cold air coming in. He, he looks like he's got extra skin or thick skin or something. Um, there's just something off about him. And so when Melanie was getting her... Um, after she got decontaminated and showered and cleaned up and stuff, she went and saw some doctors that were over on Big Alice. And I think she, I think she knew them. I think she was familiar with them and they certainly knew her and they sit her down and they give her some oxygen. It looked like, or something. Um, and they check her for wounds since she was just outside in the cold and they find, um, that she's got this wound up on her shoulder from where her suit had torn. And, uh, they say, oh, we've, we've done some real scientific breakthrough work with regenerating um, tissue and things like that. So, and we call it goop. And so they get this stuff and it just looks like goop. It kind of looks like hair gel. Um, and they shove it on her shoulder and we don't really hear anything else about it the rest of the, um, the, rest of the episode. But you're kind of left to wonder, does that have something to do with, um, with uh what's his face? Ice Bob. Um, does he somehow have some kind of skin tissue regeneration system going on within himself? And that's how he's able to withstand the cold. Um, don't know. Interesting. Don't know. Next we move on to, oh, and there was another Bob. Um, there was a mention of an Euler Bob. So we still don't know who that is. We'll look forward to finding out about that. Then we go to Mr. Wilford, Alex, and Melanie in the engine. Alex is basically at the front of the train in charge, and she's taken orders from Mr. Wilford. You can tell that they're very familiar with each other. 
Um, he's very familiar with her skill set. She hears from him and hears uh, what she needs to do um, from him and knows, knows these commands. He says she's an engineer. Um, or Melanie asks, are you an engineer? And she says yes. And it was, it was, it was a, a complex moment because Melanie might be kind of thinking, oh, I'm kind of proud of her, but what, what a life she's also choosing because it's very hard to be an engineer on Snowpiercer. They have a discussion up there, and Wilford learns of the attack um, and learns of the hostage situation back, um, back on the other end of the train. And he basically tells Al Alex, you need to stop the train, both of them, and unbuckle both of the trains. Then we're going to back up and we're going to slam into Snowpiercer and kill everybody. She hesitates, but she still does it. Um, and then that's when Melanie knows um, I am going to, uh, uh, she knew that this was going to uh, blow up this certain bomb that she had put in um, at the, at the earlier part of the episode. And what this does is this fuses uh, the two parts of the train together. And Melanie knew that she, that this would happen. Uh, she knew this. She knew that this would happen. And so uh, then they kind of all look at each other like, well, um, I guess that uh, now we're stuck together. Um, Snowpiercer and Big Alice are stuck together. And um, Alex looks at that, at, looks at Mr. Wilford and says kind of, well, I guess they got you. Uh, she refers to Mr. Wilford as dubs. Um, there was some discussion online, which I thought was interesting to read in on some people, um, that were thinking that she was saying, uh, dad, but I watched it twice. I actually made my husband rewind it and watch it again. And it was definitely dubs, uh, D U B S. Um, you know, remember back in the day we used to call George W. Bush dubs. So a lot of people are really reading into this online. I don't read into this online. Um, or excuse me, I don't read into this too much, um, as was it dad. Um, I think it's just a nickname for W, um, a nickname for somebody whose last name starts with W. I don't think it's dad. Um, but we'll get into some of those questions a little bit later. Um, so that's the episode. Um, some of the initial questions that I had about this, and we could go on and on and on about this forever. Um, I want to know more about the snow sample. I want to know more about the lab setup that they have there um, on Snowpiercer or on Big Alice. Who's going to get this snow sample? What will they be able to tell from the snow sample? Will they be able to tell um, how how the climate is changing? And uh, to me, it seemed like, um, you know, they're, they're taking the temperature outside quite often. So there's got to be something else going on in the ecosystem that they can't just garner from an outside temperature that um, hopefully we'll be able to find out more about. Um, I also saw some people talking online about a strong boy versus ice bob battle. Um, strong boy is the guy from season one that was a tailie, um, very big, strong guy. He seemed to always be wearing overalls. I, I saw him in overalls a lot. Um, and he was put in the drawer and, uh, when he was taken out, he could suddenly speak uh, Mandarin Chinese. And not only did he not speak Mandarin Chinese before, but he didn't speak at all. So uh, we're still waiting to see what's going on with Strong Boy and 
uh, if he's come out of that or if he's still speaking Mandarin. Um, but seeing a strong boy versus ice bob challenge uh, would be fun. Um, not sure who would win there. Big Alice housing survivors from before is a theory that has been circulating. Are there other survivors from when Snowpiercer had to cut loose those seven uh, cars, train cars from before? So remember the train cars from the initial revolution that had a lot of members of first class, a lot of the jackboots, um, LJ's parents were on there. All of those, uh, those, those train cars got cut loose in order for Layton to be able to kind of pull everybody together to move forward with the democracy. I, even before Big Alice showed up, I kind of felt like maybe we weren't done with the, that group of people. Um, Commander Gray, I just, I don't feel like we're quite done with those people yet. I don't feel like it was as open and shut as, well, they're dead. Um, I, I kind of felt like maybe something would happen. Um, and so to me, it makes sense that Wilford would have known where, um, where Snowpiercer was and maybe have some kind of monitoring on it or something. Um, you know, he helped build these trains too. It was mostly Melanie from what we've learned, but he, he at least knows his way around these trains and he might have some kind of surveillance. Maybe he somehow knew that those train cars detached. I don't know how far that was from Chicago. Um, that's kind of where Big Alice took over Snowpiercer. I, I can't remember how far the train was from Chicago when they let those cars loose, but maybe somehow he went and snatched them up. Um, unsure about that. I think that would be a really interesting turn for the show to take because there's a lot of characters there that you kind of love to hate. Um, also wondering where all the children were during this episode. Um, we didn't see uh, Miles and Miles. We didn't see the group of kids from before um, that was coming up and creepily singing about Mr. Wilford. Uh, we didn't see any of them. So where were they? Um, they, they initially came up to greet Mr. Wilford, but then were quickly ushered back and uh, would probably be, be kept somewhere if martial law was declared, I'm guessing. Um, but still, we didn't see them at all. Another question that I have is about this onesie that was hanging up uh, once Melanie went through decon decontamination. She sees this random onesie that's like uh, an adult unicorn onesie hanging up in the closet there, and she kind of giggles at it and then puts on this uh, workman's outfit kind of thing. Um, don't know what that was in reference to or if I missed something there, um, but... You know, I love a good onesie backstory, so I guess we'll find out about that. The online reviews of this episode I thought seemed really good. It seemed like people really liked this episode. Um, I loved it. My husband loved it. Um, I've watched it a couple times, and uh, from the comments that I have seen on the multiple Facebook groups that I'm a part of and on Reddit, seemed like people really, really liked this episode. Um, people love Sean Bean, and I, I'm kind of ashamed to admit, but I, I've only seen him in Lord of the Rings. So I know that he's been in so much other stuff and I just have not seen it. So I did learn that uh, poor Sean Bean has died 23 times on screen. Um, this was from a, an article that I found in 2019 where he commented on the fact that his character always gets killed off and he says, you know, I'm not doing it anymore. Um, I'm not going to take on any characters that die because then I'm kind of a walking spoiler alert, you know, when Sean pops up on screen, you automatically know this character's going to die. Um, so 
So it kind of makes you wonder, was this one of the new roles that he took on since making that stance known? Um, is this one of those uh, roles that he took on um, that's going to that's gonna hang around for a while? Um, or could he throw us all for a loop and die soon with Mr. Wilford? Um, and that would be his 24th death. I, I don't know. Um, a lot of people also commented from what I saw about um, this episode only having one real fight scene. Um, it only had one... Uh, you know, the the, the storming of Big Alice um, that was kind of intense and people being hit and stabbed and, you know, the, the typical fight scene on Snowpiercer. Um, and that was really the only fight scene in there. And so when you think about the last couple episodes of season one, where there was so much fighting, so much killing, so much blood, uh, some people kind of felt like that was a little bit of a breath of fresh air. And I get that. Um, I get that. Now, moving on to our possible ships, our possible relationships. Um, as as we mentioned before, uh, Audrey and Mr. Wilford, um, you, you hear something, um, or excuse me, you see Audrey reach underneath and get the bottle of scotch that Mr. Wilford had requested, and you kind of see a little, a little glimmer in her eye that maybe there was a history. And glimmer might be too kind of a word, um, because... Mr. Wilford seems like a colossal prick. Um, so, you know, you kind of wonder if there's a previous history there. In one of the uh, season premiere trailers, you see Audrey and Mr. Wilford, I think, in the night car together. So, uh, so something is going to happen there. We'll have to wait and see about that. You also have to wonder about Mr. Wilford and Melanie. Uh, Mr. Wilford gives a little bit of backstory about Melanie during this um, during this episode, and he comments that he found her fixing tractors on a farm when she was age 17. So there's some backstory between the two of them. Mr. Wilford does seem, you know, a bit older than Melanie, but something happened where he discovered her, and he says he pulled her out of pig shit or something, um, and puts her on and uh, and puts her on Snowpiercer and puts her, you know, to work basically for him. Um, and, and hell, I don't know if he helped her with her education. I, you know, I don't know what the backstory is there. So, uh, some people online were speculating about Mr. Wilford and Melanie having a relationship. Uh, is he possibly the father of Alexandra? I, 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 I'm not quite leading in that direction. Uh, also kind of wondering how Ben fits into all this. Um, is he Mr. Wilford's son? Is he Mr. Wilford's brother? Um, is Ben uh, the dad of Alexandra? We, we don't know. So there's all sorts of different ways that the relationships could go now that we find out Mr. Wilford is alive and well, now that we find out Alexandra is alive and well. Um, and just, just kind of a side note, I, I did love Mr. Wilford um, hanging out in his bathtub, smoking a joint, uh, listening to David Bowie, I think it was, and uh, just... He, he he is captivating. You can't take your eyes off him as Mr. Wolford, and he's another one of these characters that uh, you just kind of love to hate, but you still just you just can't take your eyes off him. So I, I'm loving the introduction of Mr. Wolford, even though he's an absolutely despicable character, but he represents so much, as we talked about last week. So on to our final, most important uh, segment of the show. What random 
burning, unimportant question about the train has Hillary asked this week. So this week, I would say my random burning, unimportant question was related to Juniper. Uh, we see Wilford as Wilford's sitting there with, uh, with his super fancy uh, train car. It looks uh, incredibly elegant. He's got a dog. <laughs> He's got a dog that's just sitting there. And uh, when Melanie comes into that car, she says, oh, hi, Juniper. So she uh, she recognizes the dog. So that makes me think, um, obviously, either he had that dog seven years ago when they departed and that dog is still alive, or they've got some kind of breeding on the train. And that's a descendant of the first Juniper and Wilford just didn't correct her. Um, but it, it made me just kind of ask a general unimportant question of what's up with a dog on Snowpiercer um, and many other questions related to a dog on Snowpiercer. Um, is the dog, what is the dog eating? Um, is the dog given only human scraps? Um, because we've, you know, dabbled in some cannibalism for the train. Um, so are the, are the animals on Snowpiercer first on the list to get the human remains when food sources start running low. Um, so basically, how many people has Juniper eaten? I, I'm, I'm curious to that. Uh, is there a zoo car? Um, are there other animals on Snowpiercer? Uh, the, uh, we, we saw in season one, the Folgers had their cat, and we also saw a weird lizard kind of Thing that was on uh, somebody in first class. Uh, somebody on first class's shoulder had a big lizard hanging out on its shoulder. And those are the only animals that we've seen. So the, all three animals have been uh, in first class, basically. Um, so are there other animals? Do they uh, have a breeding situation besides, obviously, the animals that are there for, uh, uh, for consumption? Um, you know, we've got the chickens, we saw hens, there was a hen that was taken from a snowpiercer to be brought up to Big Alice as part of their initial barter. Um, but what about animals just for the sake of animals? You know, are there giraffes? Um, are there, uh, is there a lion somewhere on there? I, I'm thinking probably not, um, that there's just not the space for that. But then when they were creating snowpiercer, did they just have to kind of decide, well, I guess we're just never going to have giraffes again. I guess we're just never going to have lions again. Um, but if somebody wants to sneak on a dog, uh, maybe we can have a couple dogs and sometimes, you know, and, and breed them and keep dogs. How does that work? How does that work? Uh, we also know how important uh, insects, particularly bees and, and wasps and the insects are for maintaining the ecosystem. So do, do they have some kind of plant... Um, plant slash insect section on there uh, where they're keeping these kinds of bugs and things uh, once snow once uh, Snowpiercer is done traveling around the world and they're ready to start uh, living life off of the train. Do they have some kind of animal DNA stored somewhere, kind of like in Jurassic Park, where they can just start making some of these animals from scratch? Uh, the technology and the research and the science on Snowpiercer seems like it was pretty advanced. So I just kind of wonder a little bit more about non-farm, you know, non-edible animals. Well, I guess any animal's edible technically, but you know what I mean. 
what other kind of animals on there? Is this an ark kind of situation? Or did they just pick and choose some ones that the rich people wanted? What's happening with that? And how are they being fed? And are these the original animals or have they bred? I just want to know more about these animals. I know it doesn't really matter, but that's why this segment exists. These are the random unimportant questions that I wonder. So that brings us to the end of our season two, episode one recap uh, for the, the episode, the time of two engines. I look forward to hearing from all of you to see what you all thought about this episode. And I am so excited for episode two to come out next week. I can hardly wait. Um, I've uh, talked to some other people that got some advance uh, screens of the episode um, due to their own shows and people in the entertainment industry basically um, and they say that it is it just keeps getting better and better basically so I am super excited about that and can't wait so for uh, for Hillary over here at Brace in Place uh, I hope that uh, I will hear from you in the Facebook group so feel free to search on Facebook for Brace in Place and with that, um, I wish you well. So, okay. And don't forget to brace in place.